Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 176 of Yogaland. Today, my guest is Jeevana Heyman. Jeevana is the founder of Accessible Yoga and the co-owner of Santa Barbara Yoga Center. And he has a new book called Accessible Yoga, Poses and Practices for Every Body. As you know, I only feature books on this podcast that I adore, and I adore this book. I truly believe that if you care deeply about yoga as a teacher or a student, that you want as many people to do yoga as possible. You want the teachings of yoga to be available to all different kinds of people from all walks of life. And that's really Jivana's mission as well. He's been teaching since the 90s. He started out as a social activist, and he really started his teaching career in the social activism space. His first class was a class focused on yoga for HIV and AIDS. He then went on to work with Dean Ornish on his now-famed reversing heart disease program, which utilized yoga and mindfulness and low-fat vegetarian diet to reverse heart disease. And now through Accessible Yoga, he offers trainings to help teachers learn how to share yoga with people regardless of ability or background by looking at the essence of the practice, which is by nature accessible. I want to just read their mission statement here. It is Accessible Yoga is dedicated to sharing the benefits of yoga with anyone who currently does not have access to these practices and with communities that have been excluded or underserved. All people, regardless of ability or background, deserve equal access to the ancient practices of yoga, which offer individual empowerment and spiritual awakening. We talked about so many things. We connected very quickly, and I appreciate his openness and his willingness to share everything that he's learned over the years. So I know you will appreciate it too. Enjoy the interview with Jivana Heyman. So Jeevana, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to talk to you. I have read your book and it's beautiful. You know, the very first yoga book I ever bought was Eric Schiffman's book. Mm. And it was so influential on me. And the part that was really influential was sort of the, the, I don't know if it was the preface or the introduction, just the really early part of the book where he just kind of talked about what yoga meant to him and why it was important. And the beginning of your book really reminded me of that. Like you write about the essence of yoga so beautifully, and I really appreciate it so much. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you. And I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. So you started off teaching yoga in San Francisco in the 90s. And I believe you were just up the street from my apartment. I lived on 18th and Dolores. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And you were at the Integral Yoga Institute, was, which was like at about 20th yeah. and Dolores, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. We were neighbors. Yeah. yeah, somehow I never made it in there. I just happened to like be introduced to yoga through through the Mindful Body, um, which is like across town. But oh, um, yeah. yeah, I think wherever you start, you kind of stick there for a little while. But it seems to me that you were very much ahead of your time. And I would just want to talk about that a little bit. From your book, I learned that you moved to San Francisco, you had come out a few years prior, and instead of it being like this joyous time, San Francisco was still in the throes of the AIDS epidemic. And that was obviously incredibly hard. And so you started teaching yoga for HIV and AIDS at Integral Yoga. 
But then it starts sounds like you also you started teaching at hospitals and then you just sort of de facto started teaching a broader swath of students. That's right. I mean, what happened was I was already involved with AIDS activism. That was really my main focus at that time because I was just surrounded by people who were sick and dying in, in my community. Um, those days, it was really, it's hard to describe, you know, to people that weren't there. It just, it sounds so dramatic, but it was really a devastating time. And just everyone I met and all my, you know, my friends and people I was dating, you know, were just were positive or had AIDS and were really sick and the medications and treatments weren't very good. And so people were dying. My best friend, Kurt, died of AIDS in 1995. And that was the year I decided to like really formally finish a teacher training. I'd actually been studying for many years before that, but I was like, okay, I'm ready to teach. And I only did that because I wanted to bring yoga to that community. So it was kind of my intention. You know what I mean? That's why I did it. That's yeah. why I became a yoga teacher. It was a devastating time. Like you said, it sounds so dramatic. It yeah. was really dramatic. I mean, young people, it was a ravaging disease and it was even like not being in the directly affected by it. It was, it was something that you really felt. And actually, there's one part of the book, just where you talk about how your teaching came from the experience of pain, and yeah. that our spiritual awakening can yeah. very much be connected to our experience well, I mean, of death. I mean, I think that was the thing that was, you know, I don't gosh, I can't remember. I mean, I was like in my early 20s at that time. And, you know, to be surrounded by illness and death in your 20s is just unusual. So you know? unusual. I, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I think the gift of it was that it just made me really reflect on our mortality and, and on questions around spirituality. I mean, I was forced to look at those things. I was, I wrote in the book a bit about volunteering at an AIDS hospice and seeing people my age dying and really questioning what the hell am I doing with my life? You know, what does it mean to actually be alive? And what's going on? You know, just those big questions that I think maybe we ask ourselves kind of as teenagers, and then we kind of let them go, I think. Maybe they come up again later in our 80s or uh -huh. something, I don't know, or when we have a diagnosis, if we are diagnosed with some like cancer or a heart disease or something like, you know, later in our lives, I think they come up again. But most 20 year olds aren't thinking about it. I try, I'm, just, I'm trying to say it was a gift in a way because mm -hmm. it really forced me to look at spiritual questions. And yoga had those answers for me that I couldn't find. I mean, I, w I was unwilling to look at religion. You know, I just felt like that wasn't inviting to me at all. So I, yoga was like my saving grace. Yeah, I, so similar for me. I, that's exactly how I would characterize yeah. myself. Like it, I always say, you know, I kind of wished that religion worked for me because it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's all set up for you and, you know, and the community's right there, but it just like, it just didn't, it just didn't. So yoga and meditation were definitely that sense of community and the principles just right. resonated. Yeah. Right. The principles, because I felt like I couldn't, I had all these questions, you know, like, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? You know, all that stuff. It kind of sounds cliche, but it was really traumatic time. And I I found a lot of those answers in, in the yoga teachings. I mean, I'd say yoga philosophy in particular was helpful to me. The idea that the spirit is who we are or something, you know, that, that I really clung to that, mm. you know, idea. One um, of the things that really comes through in 
your path is, and you kind of say it even overtly, is just how the community aspect of a, of a mm. yoga class and creating that space for people is part of healing and can be such a part of the teaching. And I just found it really fascinating that you went and worked for Dean Ornish, who, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm so familiar with his work just mm-hmm. from like being an editor and all of that stuff. Right. But for anyone who's not, you know, he studied yoga and combined like basically mindfulness practices, yoga, and then diet and mm-hmm. proved that you could reverse heart disease. And you talk about how you noticed that that kind of solidified your feeling of like, okay, yoga and community, these are the things I want to focus on mm-hmm. moving forward. Yeah. I mean, he it was such a blessing to get to work for him. And and also my, so one of my teachers was Nishila Devi, mm-hmm. and she created the yoga program for his, for, for the Dean Ornish. She, she created the yoga portion of the Dean Ornish program. Okay. And, you know, I just was lucky to get to study with her. And she was already doing accessible yoga you know what i mean like um and and dean ornish was showing me how you could take these teachings and make them work for anyone you know who's interested especially people dealing with disability or chronic illness so i was really lucky to see that and i kind of took what i learned from them and applied it to my classes in the aids community and i definitely saw in their work that community was emphasized which is it's interesting i think because now it's more more and more clear how dangerous isolation is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like to our health. I mean, literally, it's more dangerous to be isolated than to smoke mm. cigarettes. It's really has profound physical impact over a lifetime. And and I remember, you know, in my yoga classes, just back then, especially how how important it was for all of us to just be together. And and especially those of us, I mean, those of us who were dealing with HIV and AIDS directly, it was like it was like a support group. Mm-hmm. And, and I noticed it in yoga classes in general. I mean, just how important the community was. Because I, I remember that like in the classes I taught for like general population that people seemed to come back to class to see their friends, you know, as much as to do the yoga. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they just want to see the people you know. And our culture, we've become so isolated. So yoga is just such an important opportunity for that social connection. I emphasize that now and I really encourage teachers that I trained to to consciously work on that in their classes and not just have it be a byproduct, but really to think of how can they cultivate that community building aspect of their work. Because right. I think it's so it's so helpful and healthy actually. Yeah. I have a question that is might be tough to answer, but I wonder from your perspective, if you think yoga has become more inclusive since you started teaching or or less inclusive? That's, that's <laughs> a good question because I think I would say both. I mean, in some ways, when I was starting, like there weren't really yoga studios. Like that was, you know what I mean? Right. It was like they were just starting. In those days, it was actually pretty inclusive in a sense because there wasn't this like, media representation issue so much like no but often you would walk into a room like yeah. i remember when i started ashtanga it was just like a woman yeah. who opened a opened a one room studio in the mission so you would just walk in you know she was a person who made everyone feel included and comfortable so then everyone yeah. felt included and comfortable i think the media image of yoga is more of a hippie thing and that's mm-hmm. what you know my in fact, my grandmother taught me yoga. I mean, I talk about that sometimes. And that was important to me that, you know, she was like an older hippie. And 
I think that's what people were identifying it as, you know, kind of the 60s alternative. Yeah. Culture. But that was more inclusive in a sense, I think, than what we see now when yoga is seen as physical practice only or exercise. Right. And yeah, and then used to market clothing. So in a way, I think it's less inclusive now, although I would say just in the last couple of years, I see a shift back and there's more awareness. You know, that's what our so our nonprofit accessible yoga is about supporting teachers that are doing this work. And I'm just amazed by all those people. I mean, there's just so much happening. Yeah, so I agree. I mean, I think it's such a nuanced topic, like, Mm -hmm. in certain ways, the side of it that maybe feels less inclusive is like the corporatization of of yoga. And like you said, some of the even some of the social media representations, right? So even not necessarily just corporations, but but at the same time, you know, social media has allowed anybody to self-publish and to put themselves out there. And I think that that's really awesome, too. But obviously, I think there Mm -hmm. is just such an important need for the type of work you're doing that's like really organized and just thinking deeply about the topic. And I just wonder for teachers who are listening, if, I mean, obviously, you conduct trainings, all kinds of trainings, but is there anything that people can do in a concrete way right now, the beginning of class, or even just like in the marketing of their classes and the way that they promote their classes to make them feel more inclusive? Let me come back to that if I can. I, I sure. wanted to kind of keep with the other question about, you know, what's happened. And I, I guess to me, there's like a theme and that goes back to actually the initial question you asked me about kind of how I started and, and what yoga was for me. It was really a spiritual practice. And I think if you look at the roots of yoga, we see that, you know, yoga is about connecting with something beyond the mind, you know, beyond the body for me. And I think the fact that I was dealing with people that were sick and dying around me, that's what I was drawn to, you know, that kind of the deeper aspects of yoga, which I think they're hard to hold on to. They tend to be more ethereal, Mm -hmm. those concepts. And also they're much more subtle. I think what's happened is instead we focused on the the physical practice um, primarily. And and while it's, it's so powerful, like asana is so incredible, I don't think it should be seen as the only thing that yoga is. And, and I think that's where we've gotten in trouble. Because I guess to try to answer another way, I would say that to me, yoga is accessible by nature. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something we have to do. All we do is have to go back and look at what is yoga. Because yoga is really about working with the mind to connect with the heart or some deeper part of ourselves. And that's something we can all do. Mm-hmm. Anyone, like even if you have no mobility at all, and you're, you're in a hospital bed, you can still have that experience. So I I guess to me, yoga is universal, at least the the part of it that I believe in myself. (laughs) (laughs) There are universal teachings that are by nature accessible. And I think that if the parts of yoga that are not accessible to me are questionable. Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. That's what I think needs to be put on the table. Like, wait, is that really yoga then? Uh If it's accessible? (laughs) So I guess I'm just trying to take another perspective maybe because I think it changes the way I would answer that last question too. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. can we do to make yoga accessible? Well, let's go back and think, what is yoga? Like, why you are know? we doing this? Why are you doing it? Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Hi, why are we doing this? Like, why are you doing all those great asanas? I mean, they feel good. Right. But is there another reason? Like, right. Well, I mean, it's like the hope is that the asana is the vehicle to to have that inward 
facing experience. And I think for certain, like, I think for certain energetic types, I mean, I, I see this even in my daughter, you know, she's just like, she Mm -hmm. is wired in such a way. She has to burn a lot of energy and like, I Mm -hmm. think it's going to be like that for her in her life. I mean, I see it in her grandmother and that's the hope is that it, for those, for people who really need that like physicality in order to settle, that that um, catalyzes that. Right. Right. I agree. Yeah. Also, one of the great things about it is that it's so practical and it's actually so accessible in Mm -hmm. a sense because the body is so like tangible, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And these spiritual teachings are so ethereal and I think that's what's so great about yoga on the one hand too is that it's just so practical it's like oh you just move your body like yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah put your right foot here put your left foot (laughs) there Mm -hmm. because if you go to like most spirituality is just like what you Mm -hmm. know you're like Mm -hmm. you're saying that doesn't really it's so mental or it's like okay just go into prayer I don't know Mm -hmm. Yoga is just like, do this. And I think that's great. But I feel like we just need to go to the next step. Well, why though? Like you were saying, like, well, mm-hmm. why that? Mm-hmm. Why burn extra energy? What's the point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are we trying to do? Right. Not forgetting that. Yeah. I think that's a really good guiding principle. That's really, I mean, it's so basic, but it's. it's and actually, sense. if you look at the, the social media and, and the marketing of yoga as a physical practice, I think that's the problem I see with it is that. And there's nothing wrong with marketing yoga, but if you market it just physical, then, you know, maybe the general public don't realize that there's more. They mm-hmm. don't see that, mm-hmm. that it's actually, that there's a universal teachings there that can help anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful. I mean, the teachings of yoga are not just connecting with your heart, like I said, but it's really like practical, like mm-hmm. removing suffering. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's like one of the main, like one of the main teachings of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali is like future suffering is avoidable. Mm-hmm. Like that's important. Like mm-hmm. how many people want to have less suffering? You know, right. everyone. Yeah. I don't know how many people are getting that from the way yoga is marketed. I don't right. know if you see that. It's so interesting. I'm just like having this aha moment of, um, you know, I worked at Yoga Journal for a long time. And I was kind of there during this like, peak of like the asana time. And I can remember looking at, we had this black and white book, it was so beautiful. And it was sort of all these like really adept people doing all these beautiful postures. And honestly, it's a work of art, like it's gorgeous, right? But I do think that intern, what I internalized from that was if I can do these things, like if I can open my feet more like a book in Baddha Konasana, (laughs) then I will be more advanced. Yeah. And I I mean, I just, I probably should have known better at that. But, but it's just that like, it's like dangling that carrot of like, this person is more (laughs) advanced than you, like, keep trying, keep trying. And yeah, I just think it's beautiful that your book is just a reminder of like, I actually really love how you say you kind of boil it down to a calm mind and a, and um what did you, what is a calm mind and an open, open heart? heart? Yeah. 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 Well, and also like, what is advanced? I like that question. What, what is advanced in yoga? Mm-hmm. Not what is advanced in yoga asana, but what, what does it mean to be an advanced yoga practitioner? And I think, I don't think it's what we think it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I would say, well, maybe I should ask you that question. Is that fair? Can I ask you? 
Oh gosh, I think it's got to be so specific to the person because it it, mm-hmm. it all depends on what you're working with. And I agree with you. I think it's really the beauty of the practice and the longevity of the practice. Aside from like the very practical parts of like keeping your joints moving and, you know, the beauty of it is really the internal effects. Mm-hmm. For for me, I I'm just like I'm totally in agreement with you on that. Yeah. And I would say for me, in my own person, an advanced practice is feeling more content with the way things unfold in my life. Mm. And, you know, because I think I fought against that for a really long time. And it it led to a lot of like depression and anxiety and Mm -hmm. being able to believe in myself and then just be with what's happening and appreciate what's happening. That for me personally is my advanced Mm-hmm. Yeah. Contentment. I mean, that's one of the teachings. Mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. You know, Tantosha. Mm-hmm. The Niyamas. I think it's really key, actually. I think that's the goal of yoga for sure. Contentment, peace of mind. Like you said, I, I think you said, like to be okay with what is, mm-hmm. basically, you know, yeah. as opposed to what we think should be. To me, it's really a mental thing, actually. Mm-hmm. It's really about a state of mind, acceptance, and trust. But still being engaged in the world, you know, and I, I think sometimes there's like a, I don't know what, like this idea of a yogi is being very passive, like, oh, everything's good, everything's cool. You know, that's kind of the 60s version. Yeah. Like, it's so cool, cool, man. But that's not that, I don't think. I think it's actually about being engaged, but in, in a peaceful way. Right, uh, right. To be of service. I think the word service is important to me, actually. And in fact, I'm kind of curious about that idea of service because I think that that kind of summarizes it for me like what yoga teaches us to do which is to be in the world in a way where we're not caught up in what do I get mm-hmm. how does how do I look you know but actually of like enjoying the moment being but being useful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no I think it's really great I mean I think that like it's interesting that you bring up yeah it's not about total passivity because that's sort of like bypassing <laughs> what's right. what's really happening so like you said it's it's acknowledging what's happening acknowledging your feelings about things acknowledging reality and still choosing to work with it rather than work against it and I mm-hmm. think that once the teachings and the practices get you to a place where you can feel you know relatively well internally, then you can be of service. But I think it's for me anyway, it's like it ha- I had to get to that first stage of who am I? What the hell am I doing? Why am I the way that I am? How can I manage myself a little bit better? And then it's like you can you can offer it to to others. Exactly. I think it's a state of mind. That's actually what I'm working on right now. My next book, actually, I'm really trying to parse that out and understand what is the state of mind that we are trying to reach in yoga that maybe if we address that more directly hmm. we could be more successful in doing so and i i think it comes down to service but it's a it's a complex topic actually so yeah that's a really complex to topic i can't wait I, <laughs> me too i can't wait i can't wait to see what i write i can't wait um, to see where you land but, yeah but i had an, some other thought came to me oh about the body again i just I think there's a, still a little misunderstanding about asana for me, and that is about health. And I I actually don't think health is necessary to be successful at yoga or to be advanced. I, I mean, that's really what accessible yoga is also dedicated to, is kind of just shifting the narrative around, I would say, ableism, actually, and disability. Uh-huh. 
because you don't need to be healthy to have a peaceful mind. So I think I say in the mm. book, like there's a correlation between that, those two things. Like the mind is, of course, part of the body. There are two things that are inseparable. Mm -hmm. But even if the body is struggling, the mind can be at peace. And I think that's essential for us to, to get to. I think it's actually contradicts a lot of the things we're told culturally about the body. Absolutely. Yeah. It go, it's counter to all of the sort of like wellness industry. And yeah. I, it's so true. I mean, it's the wellness industry is sort of focused on like how you look and does the way that you look reflect health and how can you achieve optimum health? And to be perfectly honest, like very few of us are there all the time. Like there's all kinds yeah. of things that happen. And so I think that's a really wise way of looking at it because it's like things don't have to be all perfect for you yeah. to for you to not be suffering. They can't, they yeah. can't be. I mean, right. that's the problem. It's literally impossible. Mm -hmm. Like, especially as I get older, it's like my body has more problems. Like it just, Absolutely. and it's not wrong yeah. or right. bad. And right. it's not a failure to get older. Right. Actually success, mm -hmm. you know, so getting older and then eventually dying is natural process. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I think I say in the book too, that like, is death a failure of healing? But I mean, if you look at the way we talk about Ill, uh, illness and health, it would seem so that death is the ultimate failure, you know, and that's ridiculous. But that's kind of the medical model that we've been trained in. Mm. That's really true, huh? You know, maybe that's going to start shifting too. As, well, because it's true. It's There's so much focus on prolonging life instead of like, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fine. I mean, it's great. You know, I think we all want to live as long as we can, but <laughs> but we're not going to live forever. And I think that's a great thing about yoga. It literally prepares us for that. You know, it prepares us for death, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. Why don't you say a little more more about that? I mean... Because what yoga can teach us is that we're not just the body, you know, that the body is part of us, but we're so much more. And I think if we become overly identified with the physical body and therefore, you know, with our health from day to day and with our illness and our, any disability and fear of death, all those things are actually interfering with, with us being more at peace and content with what is, you know, which and what is, is that my body will get old and die. <laughs> mm -hmm. And along the way, I'll have disease and illness and injury. That's unavoidable. That is actually going to happen to me. So the more I can accept that reality, rather than be in denial about it, the more I can actually be content and enjoy my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, those, you know, the lies we tell ourselves actually interfere with our enjoyment of life. It's really true. It's really <laughs> sad, but true. We're our own worst enemies sometimes. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's also important culturally, look, um, the way we treat people with disabilities or chronic illness. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of judgment, which is often masked in pity when really everyone's in the same boat. You know what I mean? I like, mean, it, so Pity is a way to distance yourself from empathy. Yeah, there you, you go. Know, it really is. I mean, what I so I had breast cancer five years ago, and I would say to people, friends, mm. before they start talking, do not pity me right now. No. Like, with my finger up, do not. It's not helpful. No. It is a way to, it's a way to create disconnect and, and distance. Oh, that poor person, as though mm. it's never possible it could happen to you. 
the shame, I think, too. I mm-hmm. think it kind of pity and shame feel like they're related in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Like we should be embarrassed about having cancer or something and we've failed in some way, you know, and then it goes along with other people then pity us because we have a bad problem. But it's all, it's not, it's just not true. I mean, there's, I mean, yeah, sure, it's true. It's happening like on one level, but according to yoga, that's not, that's not it. The whole point of yoga is to take us beyond that day-to-day experience and to give us some deeper connection you know yeah so it just makes me sad that we use yoga and the teachings to actually make those things worse you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying like yeah I, right right, right. Make people feel worse right about their bodies right reinforcing that archetype right. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i think it comes from an identification with the body to the point where there's nothing else and like you said the whole kind of wellness the whole wellness industry that i agree it, it has this obsession with youth and health and ability, like you said, it's it's very ability. ableist. Yeah, it's very ableist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's not really what yoga is, right? Although it be taught that way sometimes. It's not. I don't think I, to me that's not what yoga is. I just want to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things that's popping into my mind was just, there's just obviously you have photos in the book, and there's one photo of a man in a wheelchair, and he's doing like a backbend, and his oh, yeah. arms are out, and his chest is lifted, and he looks so happy and expansive. Uh-huh. And I've never seen an image like that before. And it was like, it's a really moving image to see that. Like, uh-huh. is he doing yoga? A hundred percent. He was yeah. in yoga in that moment. Yeah, that's Rudra Schwartz. Yeah, I mean, he's a serious yogi and he really gets it. Yeah. That's yeah. part of his regular practice. Was it at all intimidating for you at first to work with people with disabilities? Or were you just really upfront like, okay, this is an experiment we're going to see how what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Like, how do you feel like you got there? I think my experience working with or just being around people with AIDS for so long through yoga classes and working in a hospice and with my friends and just being with their bodies, that just got me out of that mm. worry. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. in fear, it just all went away. I just got used to that. You know, you get you start getting used to bodies looking differently mm-hmm. and and then you start to realize that actually everyone's body is different. And yeah, like it just kind of becomes less of an issue. In fact, it can become something to celebrate. And I, I actually, yeah, I mean, I get, I get excited by difference, you know, and to me, it's like something that we should, um, you know, all look at is how are we different and mm-hmm. not, not the same. And that's unique. That's what I love. I tried to say that in the book too. Like what I love about yoga. It's just like, trying to focus on what's the same and also what's different. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's hard to do at the same time. Right. You know? This idea that at our core, like our essence is all the same, like, and we are so unified, but our manifestations are so unique and different. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important because otherwise if we focus just on the sameness, that that's where we get spiritual bypassing. You know, uh-huh. I talk uh-huh. about this idea that, oh, you know, well, we're all one. So that's right. just your problem, basically. Right, 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 right. But no, we're in the world. And these are real problems that people are having. There's racism and, and yeah. homophobia. And, you know, there's so many kinds of prejudice and ways that people are disempowered. And I guess my point is that I don't want yoga to be another one of those. Right, right. <laughs> that, no, it's really, that's really, yeah, it's smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, yoga is, to me, that it's about giving people power, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Yeah, because like the power to be at peace or to be content, that's like the greatest power of all. Yeah, and have those tools, like like different kinds of tools for different situations and different moments and different stages. And it does, I mean, it really offers those. But if you see yoga only as one thing, and then it's only for a certain body type, then actually you are disempowering. You're actually using it for for disempowerment. You're using it for bad right. <laughs> instead of for good. You know what I mean? You're actually, rather than lifting people up and saying, here, anyone can have this experience if they're willing to do these practices and they have the capacity and the interest, I should say, because really they have to be interested, then you can have some relaxation, some peace, you know, if that's something you want. Mm-hmm. But if you use yoga to say, no, it has to look this way, that's actually the opposite. You know, that's how yoga is often used. Yoga is often used to control people, hmm. to create power structures. I think we see a lot of that these days, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's becoming revealed. Mm-hmm. So. Which is not unlike certain aspects of religion, too. I mean, you know, right. really, there are so many parallels. Like, obviously, there's wonderful aspects of religion and then there's times when the power structures are abused and mm-hmm. it, and it's like it's so insidious because it can be really hard to discern when it's happening right well that's why it's important to have the context and that's why the difference is important because context is key like in the u.s there's like a you know a patriarchal capitalist system that has disempowered people mm-hmm. and anyone who doesn't fit the norm thin white able-bodied whatever wealthy whatever mm-hmm. they are disempowered and mm-hmm. so that has to we need to keep that context when we're addressing people and communicating these teachings you can't separate that from the way that the message is conveyed right So I want to get practical and talk about the different aspects of what you're doing. And so two-part question, just for anyone who's not familiar with accessible yoga, like what does the organization do? And then second part, if you could just envision your ideal yoga space in five to 10 years, like where are we? What are studios offering more specialized classes or are studios getting better at being able to teach people in a more inclusive way. What's your hope? So, I mean, Accessible Yoga is it's a nonprofit and we, we do mostly, our goal is to support people who are doing this work. In a sense, we're a professional organization. We mostly support yoga teachers through conferences, in person, and also online networking. We have like I think 25 Facebook groups and 10 different languages and, you know, just connecting people around the world who are interested in this work. And, you know, we are currently offering something new and that's a partnership we're doing with the Yoga Service Council and with support from Yoga Alliance and a new program called the Evolution of Yoga Summit. And basically we're trying to um, address, you know, hard issues within yoga, like the four issues we're trying to address at that event are cultural appropriation, racism, consent, and accessibility. And is this a live event? This Yes, this is a live okay. event in, L- in LA in March, at the end of March. Oh, wow. And we're also creating an online component to that so people can engage if they can't make it. But, you know, I think our work is about 
supporting yoga teachers, but also educating the yoga community about issues around accessibility and in the most the broadest way that you can define that, which is, you know, our work started around disability awareness, but really we're looking at accessibility for anyone, any marginalized group. Mm -hmm. And then I also lead trainings. We have accessible yoga trainings all over the place. We have like, you know, weekend programs to just give yoga teachers some tools to make their classes more accessible. Oh, that's great. So like if you had your 200 hour or your 500 hour, you could do a shorter additional Mm -hmm. training with you. Right. It's a weekend training yeah. with me and I have other people that lead it as well. And yeah. it's, uh, um, it's, a, it's very short, like three days, but it's like trying to just shift people's way of thinking about teaching Yeah, to look at kind of like I started with in our conversation, like to look at the fact that yoga is accessible by nature and how can we bring that into the class? What in practical ways? And that's kind of what you were asking. I think the second part of your question is like, how could yoga be different in the future? And I I think that's what I'm trying to offer in that training and also in our conferences too. It's just like another way of looking at the teaching and yeah. that is to, to really start from a different place that to realize that everyone has a right to this, these teachings. I mean, to we appreciate and acknowledge the tradition of yoga and that's key. And I think actually going back to the essence of yoga is a way of avoiding cultural appropriation, you know, to really try to be true to what the teachings were given us for, Mm -hmm. which is this more uh, kind of a like deeper self-inquiry. Anyway, so in the training, I also focus on a lot on teaching mixed level classes. And I, Mm -hmm. the reason I do that is because to go back to your question, I think that's something I'd love to see more of in the future. Actually, I know that every class is a mixed level class, right? But they're very different. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's some that might say mixed level that for me at age 47, like might feel yeah. really advanced. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have kind of an unrealistic fantasy of like a really mixed class. That would be Leo, cool. Where like people are practicing in chairs and people practicing on the mat side by side. And those are classes that I was Teaching, I've been teaching for a long time, and I kind of love that more than anything. I, I love the idea that people can be together in community doing yoga, but in their own way. Yeah, that, just like being who you are. I mean, how good does that, that must feel? Yeah, like yeah. how can we do that? How can you be yourself and be in the group? That That's like my goal in life, actually, right? Like how can I be myself and be in the group? Uh-huh. <laughs> It's so, <laughs> a good goal. Yeah, I get it. And I, I like that in yoga, which is hard in big classes. You know, the teacher, it's a real challenge. But for a teacher, that- that's like huge, but <laughs> an interesting and worthy goal because it could feel amazing for everybody. And also, I'm like, my daughter goes to a private school and it's not very diverse. And I've been on the diversity committee and there yeah. all these studies like diversity makes us smarter because we mm-hmm. see more perspectives. We learn more about what it means to be human. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, yeah, with with children and education, there's a move away from segregated classrooms for people with, for kids with disabilities. Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. like the old fashioned way. Yeah. And meaningful right inclusion. Meaningful right. inclusion. Mm-hmm. And it is meaningful because what it does, like you said, it makes everyone smarter. It actually helps the kids who don't have an obvious disability to be more intelligent and mm-hmm. to understand about empathy and awareness around like people are different. So 
I think that's true in yoga as well. I think that yoga, we tend to segregate ourselves more in yoga classes. And I understand that. But I actually think there's something so sweet about being all together in community and finding ways to practice together. In fact, what I often tell people is even if you're not going to have that exact structure in the classes you teach, I mean, you may not have students practicing in chairs in your mat class. That may not happen for you. Mm -hmm. But Still, the skills needed to be able to do that are directly transferable to just being a better teacher. Yeah. Um, because learning to teach multiple levels and multitask, like learning how to address differences in a room, keeps everyone safer. Right. I mean, when mm -hmm. I think about like really traditional Iyengar teachings, yes. those teachers know how to teach people, yes. you know, able bodied or not able bodied, like in chairs. So it seems like it would take a lot of learning, but it does seem possible. Yes, I think Iyengar is one, probably the first school that focused on this at all. And right. I don't have very much training in Iyengar, just a little, but I would say I'm just trying to offer similar suggestions mm -hmm. in a more simple way. Mm -hmm. A lot of Iyengar teachings, the, the poses are very detailed and complex. And I think what I'm trying to get at is actually a more, just a simple approach to that. I can tell you what I teach. It's very simple. And and people don't need to come take my training now if I tell you. It's just, <laughs> it's so simple. And that is to separate out the preparation of the pose from the practice. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, oftentimes we prepare for, pra for the pose. Now it's different in a vinyasa. That's a harder thing. But I'm thinking outside of vinyasa, when you're just doing an asana, like more of a slow class prepare in some way like you begin you get your body into the, the foundation you build first and then you come into the pose mm -hmm. and what i found is if you can prepare separately so say you have a student in a, sitting in a chair and a student lying on a mat you can prepare for that pose like say we're going to do cobra pose bhujangasana you can prepare for it separately right like it's going to look different in the chair mm -hmm. than on the mat but then Find a way, find language that's universal across both experiences that you can then use to come into the practice together. Ah, okay, right. And what that does, it actually unifies the group to feel like we're, we're actually practicing together, as opposed to what often, I think what most teachers do is they would teach one, here, you, you, if you're on the mat, you practice this, in the chair, you practice that. And that, to me, that's fine, but that's actually separating Right. Them. It's also calling attention to the difference in, in a way that might not be super comfortable. Right. Yeah. You're teaching two different things. It's so like I when you just, say like the modification yeah. is like if you can't oh. do this, do this, you're like, oh, I don't want to be the one who walks over and gets no. three blocks, you know? <laughs> I already feel <laughs> <Yeah>. that way. <laughs> exactly. I think yeah. that's important. Modification, that word alone, I don't like. I think, think of it differently, like variations. I think of an asana as a spectrum of possibilities. Right. There's many variations of that pose. Each person has a different one. And that's healthy for them. They should have their own way. That, that will cause less injury uh -huh. if each person finds their way in. And actually, I'm, I can't always tell from the outside as the teacher what the best one is for you. So I'm just offering different options and you can choose. And I think that's just empowering to the student as well. Mm -hmm. Totally. You know, to to give them choice. And also, like you said, to not make one better than the other. Yeah. yeah. And it's also building self-awareness. And like you said, you know, it builds agency, right? Because you're, you instead of that older hierarchical structure of like, I'm going to put you in this pose and this is the end point and this is what you're, you are striving for. It's like, well, I'm not sure what's best for you. So you're going to yeah. have to kind of learn that. <laughs> you're going to yeah. have to develop that awareness. 
I always say it's a collaboration. I mean, obviously the teacher has knowledge and that's mm-hmm. why the student has come. So I'm not saying they don't. Right, right, right. But I, but I mean, in the end, it's being a good teacher means you lift your students up, even surpass you eventually. You know, that's the goal, right? That they become independent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of like parenting. exactly i I have two kids yeah i I saw that in your bio yeah it's such a collaborative effort (laughs) such a collaborative effort yeah i've learned more from them my kids than anything but exactly me too me too collaborative effort yeah well thanks a million for being here it's so wonderful to talk to you and to meet you and i hope i cross paths with you again Yeah, thank you for having me and for asking such great questions. Um, I appreciate it. All right. Okay, and good luck with your next next book. We'll we'll be looking for it. (laughs) Thanks, I need it. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts app. It really helps others find the podcast. And you can find show notes with links to all of Jivana's trainings and information about him and conferences at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 176. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, enjoy your practice. <laughs>